We are kicking off a series today called Single-Minded Maturity, which I think we have a graphic for somewhere, uh, going through the book of James uh, for the next couple months. And I'm really looking forward to this, and uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of great things in this, this letter. Uh, but I want to take time this morning to read through it one chapter at a time, and then take questions or things that stick out to you that you're like, hey, I want to know more about that. Tell me more about that, or what the heck does that mean, or why would he say that? Uh, if you're watching online, there's a button there that you can uh, hit in the chat. Although I saw that the online stream was buffering for some reason. That's the YMCA's Wi-Fi, sorry. Um, but you can text. Uh, there is a number for that. If you're in the room, if you're like, I don't want to raise my hand, I don't want to talk out loud, but I want to send something in, you can text me and I will get it, I think, I think, here on my laptop again, if I've technically done this right. Um, so that's a number you can text. It doesn't come in anonymous. I can see the phone number. I've said this before. So if you say something inappropriate, I will be able to track you down. But it's also why I don't present it up front so you can see it as well. It's only going to be right here. So I'm looking that way. Okay. Um, uh, or online, there's a button you can hit where you can type it out as well rather than text it, depending on what you are all about. Uh, I'm going to do my best to write them down up here for the sake of me being able to take a picture of it afterwards as well. Uh, so I can come back and preach through these things as we, as we go. So, book of James, all right? Uh, it's in the New Testament. It's toward the end of the New Testament, so the right-hand side of your Bible. Uh, if you have that, you can turn there. It's after Hebrews. Uh, it's one of my favorite letters. It is one of the most practical letters in the New Testament um, as far as its applicability. So let's start with the beginning. Who's the author? All right, the author's James. All right, if you couldn't tell from the title, the author's James. Uh, in Hebrew, it's Jacob. Uh, that's really his real name in Hebrew would have been Jacob. And there are three different Jameses in the New Testament. All right, so scholars have argued over which one this is because it doesn't say, like, I'm, you know, James Sawalski. Like, he just says James. Like, just James. Here it is. And so which James is it? Well, there's three different Jameses, right? There's James and John, the sons of Zebedee. These are Jesus' disciples. They're part of his like innermost three with Peter. All right, We don't think it's him because he's martyred very early. It's actually recorded in the book of Acts that James, uh, James the Great, as he's known in history, is martyred in chapter 12 of Acts. So we don't think it's him because this letter seems to come later. There's James, son of Alphaeus, which is another one of the disciples. We know next to nothing about him. His, his name comes up in the list of disciples and apostles, and that's it. That's all we hear about him throughout church tradition. And so we don't think it's him based on the fact that this letter sort of starts with, like, I'm James, you should know who I am. Like, that seems to be a bit of what it's carrying. So, so which James is this? Well, the third James that's mentioned throughout the New Testament is James, the brother of Jesus. All right, so in, in my understanding of this, this would have been Jesus' younger brother. If Jesus is born to Virgin Mary, he's the first. This would be James, who's the son of Joseph. All right? And so this would be Jesus' younger brother. He becomes known as James the Just, as in justice, or James the Righteous in church tradition, because he just deals out, he just deals it out as it is. Like he's just laying it down. Like here's, and you'll see that in this letter. He doesn't pull any punches. He's James the Just, uh, who, again, is most likely the brother of Jesus, uh, born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus. It seems like he was, um, all right, so why this matters? Because we know a lot about him. All right, that it makes sense that he would be the author of this letter. He has a reputation in the early church. He's a leader in the early church in Jerusalem, as we'll see um, in the book of Acts. It seems, though, that, that he was not an early adopter of Jesus' ministry. 
There's a couple different accounts of Jesus' brothers coming and being like, yo, you might, you're out of your mind, Jesus. Like, come on home. Like, stop, stop with this nonsense. John 7 makes it pretty clear that Jesus' brothers weren't on board with Jesus' ministry. Um, but in one of the greatest I told you so moments, Paul records for us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus, when he reappears after his resurrection, he appears to his, his brother James. Can you imagine that moment? Like, uh, I told you. Like, I'm back, right? Like, that's like, for a sibling, that's like the greatest I told you so moment, okay? Like, here I am. Anyway, probably shouldn't make light of that, but I do see some comedy in scripture, okay? Like, they're human, humans after all. Anyway, James, again, after this, becomes this, this steadfast, devout believer in Jesus as Lord. He stays in Jerusalem while guys like Peter and Paul end up going to the ends of the earth to spread the gospel. But James stays rooted in the church in Jerusalem, and he ends up becoming a leader in the early church. Uh, Acts 15 records for us that James is the one who's in charge of the Jerusalem council, where Paul comes and says, hey, like, yes, Gentiles are coming to know Jesus. What should we do about this? And James is the one who pronounces, we shouldn't make it hard for them to come into the kingdom. Right? He's the one who's leading the church at this point. Paul calls him one of the three pillars of the church with James, uh, it's James, John, and Peter. And when you read this letter, and when you read what he says in the book of Acts a couple times, you can see he has these deeply Jewish roots. Like he has not walked away from Judaism completely. He's continuing on as a messianic Jewish person, still taking part in some of the heritage of his Jewish faith. Um, this matters because I think his readers would have known this about him. They would have known his character. They would have known the history of him. They would have known that he's in Jerusalem. They would have known that he's leading the church. They would have known that he still goes to synagogue and he still practices some of his Jewish heritage. This is what he's grown up with. It's what he's always known. He just now says that Jesus is Lord on top of that. We know that, that James, James the Just is martyred somewhere around 62 AD. So this, that places this letter, in my opinion, it places this letter early on after Jesus's ministry, at, at most 30 years after Jesus's resurrection and ascension to heaven. I tend to see the letter a little bit earlier. I'm, I, when I read this and I think about the context of this, I see it probably 10 years after Jesus's uh, ascension. Again, there's nothing to prove that. That's just me studying it, reading other commentaries. That's my thought on it, is that this is one of the earlier letters that we have in the church, mostly because I don't see a fully worked out theology within it. He's very basic in his theology, but that's a whole other thing. It doesn't really matter. Has anybody ever um, read Strengths Finders or done Strengths Finders? If, if you're in a corporate environment or a church environment, maybe you've done this before. All right, I see, I see that hand. Okay. Um, so Strengths Finders is this thing that does like a gift assessment, and, and, and it says, here's your top five strengths. And it uses relational strengths and strategic strengths and um, you know, different things like this. Um, I have three to come out on like the... the um, executing, not killing people, but like uh, getting things done category, okay? Um, my wife has a bunch that come out in the relational category. If you know her, you can see that. Uh, some of the, the things, the strengths that they list are like responsibility, um, belief. There's one called woo. Like if you have the gift of woo, it means you can like woo people into things. Jess has that, especially has, like is able to get me to do stuff that I don't otherwise want to do. Like she has the gift of woo. James does not have the gift of woo, like, just does not. He's just like, boom, here it is. Like, he just comes at it. All right, so you're going to read that. You're going to sense this, that, that he does not have the gift of woo. There's 59 commands in 108 verses. Boom, 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 
boom, like he's just at it the whole time of like, here's how it is, Jesus is Lord, live like this, boom. And he's just throwing it at you the entire time. He's not trying to woo you into this. He's just hitting you with truth after truth after truth. He's James the just, okay? I love it. It's so practical. So here's what I want to do. I've already taken up way too much time. All right, we are going to read through chapter one. And if, if something comes up, if you've got questions along the way, feel free to text them. Um, if you don't have the number, again, 484-528-0055, I think it was. Um, you can cue that up in your phone if you want. Or if you're watching online, you can hit that, connect, that, that button there and uh, shoot some. Did you hear that? That ring? Okay, look out for that. Uh, you can uh, shoot a, a question to that. All right? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. And that's the end of the introduction. No Pauline introduction here, just boom, he's at it. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like the flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with a scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flowers fall off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See what I'm saying? He just jumps right in and he's all over the place. It's like, what the heck is the theme of that? I, 
we'll have to figure it out as we go, right? Jumps all over the place. So anything stand out in there? I've got some things I want to share that stand out to me, obviously, as, as a preacher. But, but what are some things, if anything, uh, that, that jumps out at you? Things you got questions about, things you are like, what is he talking about? Or something you want to dive in uh, to know more about? If anything. If not, I've got plenty to talk about. It's my job, you know, so. You feel like there's too much? Okay. Too much. All right, well, I'm, I'm writing that one down because that to me is a big one. God does not tempt. Oop, not tempt, tempt. Uh, along with persevering and trials, right? Those two things kind of go hand in hand in that passage. So yeah, we got a whole, a whole section dedicated to talking about that. Uh, that'll be, I think that's next week actually. What else? So if you can't hear on, online, she said, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, that that is very uh, relevant. Is that what you're saying to, to our time? Yeah. What does it mean? What does it mean to, and this will come up later as well, to control our mouths To me, I think if you could sum up the Proverbs, a lot of what the Proverbs come back to is like, just be quiet. Just shut your mouth. It's better to just shut your mouth. And I think James picks up on that here. I think he's well-versed in the Proverbs, and a lot of that comes out in the midst of this book. You know, one of the things that stands out to me in there and there in that first verse is, is James is saying, James, a servant of God and of Jesus. You pick up on what he's saying there. He's putting those two things equal together. I'm not just a servant of God. I'm a servant of Jesus. He's making those two people equal, which means he's now fully in, right? Whatever doubts he had are gone. So the audience, right? Let's ask who the audience is. He says it's to the 12 tribes that are dispersed abroad, to the 12 tribes that are strewn about, scattered about beyond Jerusalem. Uh, This is possible, that this is having to do with the persecution that happens in Acts 8 when the church scatters because Paul is coming after them. Saul, at that point, is coming after them. Uh, or this is, I think, m- most likely, this carries a sense of, like, of James saying, Jesus is the true Israel, and you're in him, and Israel has been scattered. Israel's starting to go out to the nations. Israel is among the nations, no longer just this sequestered little thing, but you're part of the 12 tribes that are being scattered to the ends of the earth to tell people about Jesus. And this is not your homeland, right? 
That's a, that's a key thing in the New Testament is that you are citizens of another country, of another kingdom. You're the 12 tribes that are scattered. You're in true Israel, which is Jesus, who is scattered to the ends of the earth until we get home. So I think, this is, I think this is meant to be a letter that was dispersed among different churches, probably all over the place in the Middle East. And then he just says, greetings. That's as warm as James gets. Greetings. It's like Spock. Greetings. That's it. No more intro. No signing off at the end of the letter like Paul. Nothing. Just boom. This leads me to believe, there's some scholars that think this, and I believe this, that, that this is possibly a sermon outline that he actually preached this at some point and then dispersed it to other churches so it doesn't have some of the flair to it because it's just an outline that he may have, like, did what I do. Like, I have an outline and then I kind of expound upon it as I go, however the Spirit leads in that moment. I think it's quite possibly like a script. That's why it's a little bit cold in some ways. It's devoid of some of the, the personal at times. Anything else stand out to you in that chapter? What'd you say? Being compassionate? Yeah. Being compassionate, which is, that's going to come up in the next chapter as well. Like, what are the works we should do? But she nails it. He goes back to, again, an Old Testament quote of caring for widows and orphans. Like, that's an Old Testament thing all the way through. So for, for, for me, the rest of the book, the rest of this letter flows from a very simple theology, thoughts of God that he has. He's saying at the very beginning, Jesus is master. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. So live like it. Like it's that pointed. That's what he's after in this letter. He's saying if Jesus is Lord, if you're truly the, the new people of Israel and you are in Christ, then live like it. And he, and he just, boom, he just goes right after it. Verse one is like the if, the rest of the letter is the then. Like if Jesus is Lord, then live like this. And whereas Paul, when you read Paul, if Paul was teaching an architecture class and he would give you the history of architecture, he would show you different pictures of architecture. Here's the beauty and the art of architecture. James is like, just build the building. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's just, boom. Like, he just goes right at it. I think that's why he's so stark compared to Paul. Be doers, not just hearers, right? He's very firm in the way that he is delivering these words. But the whole point, the whole theology here is if Jesus is Lord, then live like it. And here's what it looks like. And you get these 59 commands, right? All right, let's read. Let's read. I'm just gonna make sure I don't have anything over here. Let's read uh, chapter two. If anything comes up, feel free to text it in. Raise your hand, that's fine. He goes on. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person uh, dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, God didn't choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith, 
Uh, Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, uh, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not, if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who is not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What a great line. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, if it doesn't have works, uh, it is, is, sorry, in the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good, even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, (laughs) James, senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. <laughs> what uh, what jumps out of you there? Boom. Nailed it. All right, so uh, how do you find, so how do we find the balance um, balance, I can spell that. What did you say between? Yep. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to repeat that. Christ's free gift of grace and works. This is... This is the question that gets James in the most trouble. This is, this is the question about faith and works that had Martin Luther, the great reformer, say, it's an epistle of straw. We shouldn't include it in the canon, in the scriptures. And he relegates it to the back half of his Bible. Eventually he comes around and says, James actually has plenty of good things to say, but that's not what people remember. Because Luther was all about faith alone. It's faith alone that saves us. And here you got James saying the exact opposite, right? What does he say? He says pretty clearly... Um, uh, da, 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 where was it? Verse 24. 
you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, which is in, seems in direct contradiction to Ephesians 2.8 that says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works. What the heck? Right? Like, what is happening here? Like, this is a, we have to ask this question. If the, if the church fathers decided that this book needs to be in there, somehow we have to make sense of this. Right? And so that, that is, that's the question. I, I, I love it. We're going to totally dive into that. It's a great question. Um, what else? Would you say pride and humility? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pride, humility, favoritism. Favoritism. Is there a U in there somewhere? If you're British, I am. I am. Favoritism. Okay. I, don't, I just gave like a Transylvanian accent. I don't know what that was. All right. Favoritism. Two chapters in James. Okay. Now I'm the count. All right. What else? See, when I don't have a script, this is what happens. It's just like anything might happen. There's a, there's a two minute delay on the live stream in case I go off the rails. What else jumps out of you in there? Anything? I mean, for me, yeah, that faith and works, the favoritism thing, that's, that's huge. Absolutely. Anything else? That was all I wrote down, so... It might just be two sermons that come out of that section. All right. We'll keep cruising for the sake of kids' ministry in the back so we don't go forever. Chapter three. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will uh, receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. I told you, it doesn't mince words. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by a humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Man, that jumps out at me. Gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without, uh, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Anything jump out at you in there? Uh, let me read this. I just, I just got one here. To show more love and kindness to the rich than to the poor is not consistent with our professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, okay. So that goes back to this. Um, uh, favoritism is not consistent with Jesus or the gospel. Gospel calls us to be generous to all people, favor no one. Great, great observation. All right, so what about chapter three? Anything jump out at you there? Come on, that's a, that's a, great, that's a great passage. You can wield it on your children, then realize that you've got your own messed up tongue. Mm-hmm, I confess. Yep. Uh, we'll do this. Right. So, um, power for good or bad. All right. You're so noisy down here. Power for good. Still? All right, power for good or bad, oops, of words. Yeah, yeah, definitely going to spend some time diving into that and what that means. Something I pick up on here uh, throughout is, is, is despite being so like blunt and straightforward, um, James is, he's pastoral, Still, like he's still referring to these people as brothers and sisters. I think 15 different times throughout the letter, he's still saying brothers, brothers and sisters. Like we're in this together. We are family. He's not saying like, I'm up here, you're down there, you're terrible people. He's saying like, we're, we're in this together. This is what it looks like to live this, this out. And then in this section, again, this is part of why it maybe in some ways it leads me to believe it's a sermon is that he gives all these analogies, just one after the other, right? He's just dumping these things on them in this section about a horse with a bit in its mouth, wind and ships and rudders that steer them, a fire that creates this giant blaze, deadly poison, salt water, spring water. Like he's just loading all these things on there. And I can see him giving a homily or something, like bringing all these things to the surface. So again, perhaps it's a, you know, it's a sermon outline of some sort that he used to preach in Jerusalem and then was sent to other churches. I'm not sure. Um, but a lot of good stuff in there uh, about, the, about taming the tongue. Anything else there in that section? Mm. All right, so... 
uh, for those who couldn't hear it online, she just said that there's, there's two kinds of wisdom. And I, what I would say is there's two kinds of wisdom, God's and the world's, right? And, and out of that, what you're saying is character matters. You know, what, what is fueling you behind the scenes, which that extends into the next chapter as well. You'll see that theme sort of pick up and carry through into chapter four, where he's talking about godly wisdom versus, you know, wisdom of, of the world, because what's happening there is he's, he's starting to zero in on their cultural compromise, that they're acting like the world around them. And he starts to pinpoint it. And he's saying, you're acting like the world. You're using their wisdom when you should have God's wisdom. That word has been planted in you. Let it come forward. Like, let it grow and produce fruit in you. Yeah, it's a great observation. Anything else? All right, we'll keep on trucking here. We'll pick up on that wisdom thing here in the next section. Look at chapter four with me. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Which to me indicates there's wars and fights among them. That he's asking this question, right? What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and, do, and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. And I'm going to say it right now, and I'll say it again when I get to this part later. For the people that don't think James has gospel in him, it's like, boom, right there. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, inshallah, right? If you, if you know Arabic, if God wills, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. For me, I, I don't even know if I have a sermon outline for this yet, but one of the things that jumped out to me that time is uh, the idea of don't judge. What's he, like, what is he after there? 
Because I don't think this is the world's wisdom of don't judge. I don't think this just means tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Otherwise, he wouldn't be writing this letter. He's judging them, right? He's a prophetic voice in this moment. So it's like, what is he, what's he saying, right? What does it mean to not judge and then write this letter, right? So that's something I'm going to have to to process as we go through this. Because I do think Jesus calls us to judge within the church. What else? So, uh, if in a fight, because he says, what, you're fighting and warring, right? If you're in a fight, check your motives. Which, again, goes back up to this idea of wisdom, right? He's saying, you've got something else brewing inside of you, and it's not godly wisdom, most likely, he's saying. It's, it's, it's this double-mindedness, which is where we kind of took the sermon uh, series title from, that he's saying, stop being double-minded and actually be single-minded in your maturity. Onward to maturity in Jesus. Don't be tossed about like a wave to and fro, but be focused on Jesus, not double-minded. So what I would argue, it's in this chapter particularly that he really starts to drill down on the fact that you're not living like Jesus is Lord. You're living like you're on the throne. You're oppressing people. You're saying people should give to you. You're pronouncing judgment over people. You're using this angry language trying to, you know, get people to change. You're warring with people, you know, on and on, right? He's saying that's God's job. God's the one on the throne. Be single-minded in pursuing him and letting his word develop inside of you and produce wisdom. We'll spend some time uh, focusing on what it means if, when he says, uh, you know, a friend of the world is an enemy of God. What does that mean? I'm not supposed to be friends with the world? Does that mean I'm only supposed to have Christian friends? Like, what, what does that mean? Jesus says, be in the world, but not of the world, right? So, like, what, again, what, like, what is James after with that? All right, so there's only, like, uh, you know, 20 commands left, all right? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to chapter 5. Right? That's where we are, right? Yeah. Uh, He says this. uh, Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their uh, corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. (laughs) Come on. This guy. You have stored up treasures in the last days. Look. The pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. I mean, that's like straight up Old Testament language right there. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. Which, again, the early and the late rains is something that happens in uh, this region of the world, in Jerusalem. And so, they're, again, they're saying, scholars are saying, this is most likely like the James, leader of the church in Jerusalem. He would have used this as a reference that Jewish people in that area would have understood. Anyway, verse 8. You also must be patient. 
Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Uh, he should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Love, James. <laughs> it's just like, it's over. That's it. Have a nice day. Like, nothing. No PS, nothing. Like, just, it's over. So much, so much happening in here. So much content. Anything jump out at you in there? Mm. Uh, if you're, if you're, if you're, that's a contraction, fixed on achievements, what'd you say? Enjoy it while it lasts? Enjoy it while it lasts. So that's sort of, that ties into chapters three and four and what he's going after here in this, this last chapter. It's a good observation is that he's pushing for a longer term view instead of just a short term view that says, get what you can, get your gold, get your silver, get these things. He's like, it's all corroded. It's, it's rotting. It's going away. Have a longer term view, right? It's so much what you try to do when you're, when you're raising a kid or you're you know, bringing up an apprentice is you're trying to try to, try to have them see the longer term view of what's at stake in life and in eternity. And he's saying, you guys are doing it too. Like you Grown adults are doing this. They're like, what are you doing? Keep in view the last days that the Lord's coming is near, that he is going to return, that there is a longer term thing that we are hoping for and putting our hope in. Yeah, that's a great observation. To me, what, one of the things that comes out loud and clear here is that he clearly has the teachings of Jesus in view. Like, it's clear that he has studied the Sermon on the Mount, that he either listened to it then, maybe didn't believe it then, but now understands it, or someone has taught him later the teachings of Jesus. But he's, I mean, he's quoting directly out of Matthew 5 when he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I mean, that's straight out of the Sermon on the Mount. 
And when you start to read James and you dive into it, you see that Jesus' teachings are actually displayed all through here. He's weaving them in and through. And, 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 and one commentator says that James doesn't repeat it. He's just inspired by it. Like he's not directly quoting it, but you can see that he's just saturated in it. And it's just coming out in the way that he's approaching his readers. Yeah, I mean, there's gospel through this. There's teachings of Jesus through this. There's Old Testament wisdom sprinkled all throughout this. And then he ends with this, this final push towards prayer, towards healing, which we'll talk about that when we get to it. But this is part of our denomination, our family churches, is that we are continuationists. We believe that the spirit is still at work and still does heal people. Uh, so we pray for healing for people. And sometimes God does it, sometimes he doesn't. We don't get to be the judge of that, but, but we have seen people healed. Um, and that's why we pray for it. It's what James is calling for here. So yeah, we pray for that. And then, and then I love that he, he ends with restoration. And for that whole thing of saying like, you crazy sinful people, you double-minded people, he pushes towards restoration at the end and says, I'm speaking truth. Be restored by it. Go and speak truth to others. He's saying, don't judge, but go and speak truth to others and see them restored. So there's, he's not writing them off. He's saying that restoration is actually possible even for people who have wandered away from the teachings of Jesus and are living this, you know, this other way. Any other observations, thoughts, questions? We've got three months where the talk's coming out of it, so it'll get covered at some point, hopefully. Okay, so great question. Um, does the world even have wisdom? Because the Proverbs say what? Like the, the, fear of the, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. And so if they don't fear the Lord, can they even have wisdom? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great observation, a great question. What is it that they have, right? So last couple of thoughts. Why are we diving into this here and now? Like, why are we, why, why the book of James right now? Well, one, because in the winter, we normally go through a book of the New Testament, and this is what we picked, all right? But it's relevant. It's relevant to our lives now, here, in this world that we are living in today. Think about the audience of this letter again. They clearly claim to want to follow Jesus as king. How many of, that's us, right? For the most part, that's all of us. They're scattered in the world trying to live it out. They're not sequestered in some little place where it's this holy huddle. You know, we gather on Sundays, but we scatter out to the world the rest of the week, right? So we're scattered like the 12 tribes. We are part of the new Israel in Jesus, the, the true Israel in him. We're scattered out in the world trying to live it out. We're dealing with our own trials, sufferings, persecution, not really, but maybe in some ways. Maybe it's your job, maybe with your friends. You're not allowed to speak the truth of Jesus because you feel like you get in trouble or you get ridiculed, right? There's some sense of that there. We have a pandemic that continues to linger on. We've got cultural uh, shifts that are happening where we feel like, man, is, like, what is the wisdom of the world versus coming up against the gospel? Like, what do we do in this? We've got these divisions within our politics, within our families. Like, everything is all like, messed up in the way that our community exists. These people are using their words and their anger to try and change people, try to judge people. 
Sounds like Facebook. Sounds like social media. Bunch of narcissists just yelling words, hoping everybody else changes around them and becomes more like them. Paul's like, I mean, uh, James is like, um, stop. Control yourself. Control your tongue. Anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. <sighs> Quiet down, right? There's favoritism in this church. There's this cultural imitation in the church, pulling them away from simply Jesus, trying to look like the world with rich people, trying to give people, you know, rich people uh, elevated status within the church, imitating what the world does. And I'm like, has anyone listened to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast? Like the corruption that happens within the church when we try to imitate the culture, get powerful like the culture, rich like the culture, trying to make rock stars out of pastors and church leadership. We, we're, you know, I've seen churches where they pick elders simply because they're good businessmen, because they've got like good business acumen. It's like, well, they make a good leader. They don't know the gospel at all. And he's saying that's what they're doing. They're elevating rich business people to these places of status rather than leaning on the humble that Jesus has picked to lead his church. They lack perseverance as a church. They're giving up, walking away, and they're taking a short-term view rather than a long-term view. Anyone else tempted by that at any point during the week to be like, why am I doing this? Screw this, forget it. A short-term view that starts to come into the frame, right? I feel it, I'm the pastor, good grief. Or I'm like, why am I, why? And I lose the long-term perspective, don't wanna persevere anymore and keep doing this. Friends, this letter is incredibly pertinent to us today. We're gonna to try to work through it, those 59 commands and what they mean for our lives and how do we interpret them through the lens of the gospel not just landing on legalism, but landing on the gospel application of these things. What does it mean to be motivated by Jesus to live this, this life that he's calling them to here? So I want to think about two verses as we wrap up. James 1.18, back at the beginning, he says, By his own choice, by God's choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creation, of his creatures. He's saying he gave us new birth by his word. This is all grace. This is all gospel. This is God saying, I'm making you new. I'm implanting my word of truth in you, which I believe is Jesus and the spirit he's putting inside of us, making us these new creatures, sort of first fruits of his new creation are his children. Then he goes through this whole letter, railing against all of these crazy behaviors and calling them to this, this Jesus-centered living. And he ends up at the end with, my brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save uh, his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It's all gospel. Again, he's saying, yep, totally live in warped lives. Come back to Jesus. Let that word of truth blossom inside of you and have your souls restored and let it cover a multitude of sins. So let's, over this next couple months, as we dive through this, I encourage you to read it on your own. Watch that Bible project video that I sent out. Um, let's give James the just space to restore us. Let's allow him to be the one to speak truth and call us back. Call us back to, to, to perseverance, to turn us back in, in areas to where we can be bearing the fruit of the word of truth, right? Rather than uh, let us be the, the, the first fruits of new creation that he's calling us to. It's been birthed in us by the word who is Jesus as we celebrate at Christmas and through Easter and through the resurrection. This is what's been birthed in us. We are new creatures, friends. We can be restored. And we're gonna take the next couple months to sort of dive into that of what it looks like to live 
this out. All right, so I'm looking forward to doing this with you. Um, if you're watching online, again, hit some of those links there on the side and uh, check those videos out. If you have questions about this or if you have other things that you're like too nervous to talk about or things you wanna see dived into, certainly let me know. Um, I'd love to be able to, I wanna make it relevant um, to, to things that are you know, in our culture and in our time, but we'll see where it goes. All right, I'm looking forward to doing this with you over the next couple of months. So let's pray about this and uh, we're gonna sing one more song together.